0: and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices today. My guest is Bob Ginsberg. He started researching the evidence for survival of consciousness soon after his daughter died in 2002. Devastated by the loss, he needed science to tell him if she still existed in some form. In 2004, Bob and his wife, Fran, founded Forever Family Foundation, a global not-for-profit that educates the public about evidence that we are more than our physical bodies. Bob hosts the Signs of Life radio show, is past editor of Signs of Life magazine, heads the foundation's medium evaluation certification program, and writes a blog at beyondthefivesenses.com, and is also the author of The Medium Explosion. Bob, Fran, and the foundation are currently featured in the Netflix docu-series, Surviving Death. Sadly, Fran passed away to the spirit realm September twenty second, 2020. Thank you so much for being here, Bob.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you today.
0: You are actually a referral uh, guest for me uh, with our mutual friend, Siri Burnson, oh, who is a medium yeah. certified by the Forever Family Foundation. Um, yeah, that's true. She's, yeah, and she's also a grief recovery specialist. So that's exciting to yeah. have connected with her. And I absolutely love the Netflix docuseries Surviving Death. And in fact, I've also had Dr. Chris Kerr as a guest on my podcast from that docuseries as well. So yeah. I loved it. So thank you so much for being for your time today and for being my guest and sharing your story.
1: Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. Obviously, I have a, a common bond with you and 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 most of your listeners. So we're all in the same world and both together.
0: So before we started recording, you had mentioned that um, where you're at now is far different from where you grew up and what you knew. And so you're living in Florida now and retirement community, and you are originally from Brooklyn, New York, which is quite the difference you were kind of sharing with me earlier. Can, and there's grief in that too, right? This leaving what you knew. And in fact, you had mentioned that you are living alone for the first time, especially since the passing of your wife. So let's start there. Well, you know,
1: my story is not unlike a lot of people. I mean, I yeah, you know, I grew up in New York, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, after I got married, I moved out to a suburb, you know, Long Island. But I, I was living a very materialistic, you know, life. I had you know three kids and the big house and the big mortgage and the cars and the toys and you know, I viewed uh, you know the the main goal in life was to you know to make money and 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 got caught up in that trap and of course. We all know that life uh, can change in an instant. Um, and it did, um, uh, you know, fast forward, um, you know, I spent many years, um, after my daughter passed in, in uh, some pretty, uh, deep throes of grief, um, as, as many can relate to, I, I uh, really didn't find any meaning purpose and purpose, you know, in life. I just wanted it all to go away for me. Um, I was kind of uh, obsessed, you might call it, with finding out if it was possible that my daughter still survived in some form. Um, You know, logic told me that that was just fantasy and that wasn't, you know, uh, possible. However, what was put before me told another story. I mean, I, you know, without getting too much involved, you know, when the, the, the morning of, the accident in which my daughter and son were involved in uh, my wife, Fran woke up at three o'clock in the morning and she sat up in bed and she was white and she was trembling and she was beside herself. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, what can you tell me more? You know? And she said, I, I can only tell you that it's going to be utterly devastating something, you know, today. And so I did what most parents would do. I, I checked on, you know, my three children throughout the day. My, my my middle daughter was already at college. She just started her college career. Uh, my son, we had the SUV all packed up the next morning. I was taking him back to, to his college. And my youngest, uh, Bailey, she was working one last day uh, at a part-time job before, you know, returning to high school the next day. And you know, at the end of the day, everything was fine. I let my guard down. It faded from my awareness. We were all out to dinner. We had two cars. Um, Fran and I uh, wanted to stop for some essentials. And my son and daughter left in in another car. And then coming home, we came upon an accident. And then our worst fears were realized when um, when they were involved in an accident, my daughter didn't survive the injuries. My son was seriously injured and airlifted to a hospital with 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 brain injuries. And then eventually when it became clear that my son was going to recover, I started to think, like, how is that possible? Like, how did Fran know? Because she knew I was you know, she was trembling, you know, and and. Um, And that led me, what I needed was the science end of it. I started traveling all over the country, meeting with medical doctors and scientists that studied consciousness, you know, trying to figure it out. Um, I fought the notion, you know, I was so caught up in my grief that I, I just, I kept having these extraordinary experiences and all this knowledge put before me, and I refused to accept it. Until, you know, one day I relented under the weight of all the evidence and and that enabled me to find some meaning and purpose in my life. And, you know, of course, that grew and mushroomed and all that. Now, recently, as you mentioned, you know, my wife passed in September and that put me to the to the test. You know, once it's been, you know, my daughter passed in 2002. You know, my my wife just passed. Um, and it sort of have have I have to reinforce everything that I that I thought that I knew, and because we're human, and d- despite what you know, grief takes over and 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 all over again. Uh, as you mentioned, I I, I you know, in dealing with the grief. It was a little bit unusual because I realized that I've never lived alone in my whole life. You know, I lived with my parents until I went to college. In college, I had roommates all the time. I got married pretty much right after college, you know, Um, and then we lived together, lived together with my wife for 46 years. And, you know, then now, you know, so I said, wow, that's here I am. I'm, you know, living all alone, something that many, many people do, but it was foreign to me. So I was dealing with a complete overhaul, you know, in, in lifestyle, in addition to, you know, all the feelings and and all the emotion. I think that for me and for many others, the knowledge um, that our loved ones still survive in some form is in fact, a form of grief therapy. You know, I mean, to me, there was nothing else that anybody could possibly say that would give me any hope and comfort, but the knowledge that, you know, my daughter and my wife, you know, still exist, enable me to to keep going. Not to suggest that it's a magic pill, you know, for grief. I mean, the, that notion is absurd, but I think that it, such a belief allows you to when you reach those those deep chasms of despair, you know, it allows you to dig out. say, so, wait a second, I've experienced these signs and communications. I know about all this stuff. I've, I've read all the research. It can't be all by coincidence, you know, that, that you know, you ha- it reaches a point where. You know, we start with some vague hope and that becomes some belief and then ultimately some inner knowing, you know, and that inner knowing, I think, is a very valuable uh, piece of the puzzle, you know, in, in recovering, you know, from, from grief. So that's uh, a long-winded answer to 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 a short question that you asked, but you know that's sort of where I am today.
0: That's an incredible story, and thank you for sharing. And I'm so sorry for the loss of your daughter, and now your your wife. And I can't help but think too. I can't imagine what that belief system, if we pass that on to our children, what that might do for their grief, to you know this understanding, if they like, for me personally. When my dad passed away when I was eight, I didn't have this, there wasn't the communication and in, in about faith or religion or or the spirituality more so Yeah, um, that that's possible that I could have talked to my dad or, you know, I saw him be put in the ground and I thought, well, that's what happens when you die and there's nothing else. Like that's what happens. And then I was angry at God too, right? Because mm. I was still little and I was still going to Sunday school and Jesus loves you. Well, a Jesus who loves you, why would he do this? Why would he take my dad? You know, and so there there was a lot of um, missed opportunity for people to communicate that with me. And what a difference I think that could have made in my grief, that it would have been okay to have that communication, even if he wasn't there. And I'm really curious too, what were you doing in your life at the time that, you kind of dropped whatever you were doing and just looked for research and experts and things like that. And also too, I have another question on top of that was your wife on board with you on that.
1: Oh, uh, well, well, she was more than on board. She, she, you know, she was my lifeline because she um, had all of these intuitive experiences and this deeper spiritual knowledge, not religious knowledge, but spiritual knowledge. And I was sort of living vicariously through her because one thing that I knew in all of our many, many years together, she never, ever lied to me, not once. Um, So I trusted everything implicitly of what she told me. And, And so I was I was elated when she would have all these experiences. I mean, I craved to have them, too, and I wasn't getting them, but she did. And that helped me get through. When we formed the foundation, I mean, it's sort of a mixture between science and spirituality. I was the science end, and she was the spirituality end. And what we found is many people have found, that even many of today's physicists, is that they're not um, as, as different as they might appear. You know, the, the physicists are sounding more like spiritualists, you know, today because they're finding out things that the ancients once knew and and we're rediscovering. But to answer your question, um, yeah, these things have never crossed my mind. I mean, I was, I had, I was in the corporate world. I I was, I had an insurance agency for many, many years. Um, You know, everything you know, when you strip down, you have a loss, like losing a child, you're stripped down to nothingness and nothing and material things lost all of its appeal. And I couldn't care less, you know, about it. I was fortunate that I had some people and employees that picked up the ball. And, you know, I just told them I'm, I'm not available. You know, I don't, I don't care what happens, do the best you can, you know? Um So I, I gave that up pretty much as, as uh, you know, I kept trying to at least call in and, keep a hand in some things but uh, I did just what I said I, I just I just kept reading was my 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 safe place and I just kept reading books and reading books and reading books and then I would get on planes and I literally would go and set up meetings with scientists and I participated in the research and um, that was helpful to me you know because I was saying well You know, you can question yourself. Am I crazy? Did this really happen? Am I just deluding myself? Is it a product of my grief? But here I had all these people that from Harvard and Yale and, you know, with medical degrees and, you know, substantial people that had bodies of research mostly unknown to the public, but yet, you know, they existed. Um, so that, um, that, that helped me a lot. You know, I, when I talk to people now, I'll readily admit that, um, you know, now we have this foundation that you mentioned, and we have you know well over eleven thousand members, you know, across the, the world, and um, we've been fortunate to help a lot of uh, of the bereaved. But I didn't um, get into it for any altruistic reason to help others. I was just looking for a way to survive myself, you know, and that and that was my motivation. That morphed over the years, and then I found that the only thing that gave me any comfort or any hope or any pleasure was being able to, to help others, but it certainly wasn't like most people, as you can relate and most of your listeners, I was just finding a way to, in you know, for me to navigate the rest of my life, not necessarily to, you know, to help others, but as, as you found and, and as many people find uh, is that, you know very often um, trauma uh, loss is a trigger to exploration and, and and you reevaluate everything you know in your life and um, suddenly um, you know helping other people or seeing other people get some relief um, is a is a therapy is, is a therapy for yourself you know um, and um, so so that 's pretty much it 's been our lives both of our lives since two thousand and Four you know when we started the foundation and and um it was it always amazes me that the 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 thirst i could, I related to something that that you just said is that um before we started the foundation, Fran and I would go to a support group made up of parents who lost children, and when we walked in there, you know we would we were mortified because exactly what you just said there were people that were religious all their lives. And the stuff we heard coming out of their mouths, you know, blank God, you know, I was taught that if I did this and I did that and I did this, I would be taken care of, you know, and, and this, it was false promises and they were so angry, you know, um, and, and that that struck me, um, you know, we um, were under the, you know, false illusions and pretenses when it comes to, you know, promises, you know, and, 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 and rules and dogma and control and so forth. Uh, but um, uh, so I always I always kept that in mind. I mean, I think that at its core, you know, religion and spirituality are, are, are the same. They come out of, uh, of compassion and love, except that spirituality doesn't have any of the rules attached to it. You know, that's more of a coming from within. Um, I know that, you know, uh, organized religion, many times they. The, the leaders of organized religion came out of ages of mysticism where communing with your ancestors was a given and it was understood and all these things that the religion now forbids, you know, it's okay for them to do, you know, but not for us. You know, I, I have a problem with that. You know, I think we're all meant to to be connected, you know, to, to the, to the greater whole. So, um, so for me um, that portion of it, Uh, you know, was very, very important. Um, I know that traditional grief therapy and many uh, mental health professionals will counsel their patients to separate from the loss and separate from their loved one. They'll prescribe medications, you know, and so forth to help with that. I like the other approach where embrace it, continue a relationship with your loved one. It's not the same kind of relationship. Obviously we can't touch them and we can't hug them. And we can't kiss him, although in dream visitation sometimes we can. Um, but uh, you know, you mentioned you know losing your 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 parent at, at the age of eight. Um, my grandson, um, who's seven now, you know, he was six when Fran uh, got sick. He spent six months with us because we did home hospice, you know, and he was involved, and he would try to do healing, and and you know, and you know, now we explain to him that. Um, you know, that uh, that my wife is now still is around, but she's just in the invisible world. You know, she's still there. We just can't always see her. And she he accepts that. And he finds that, you know, comforting. And um, he's, you know, obviously, um, with the work that that I do, I mean, he's, he's exposed to all this kind of stuff. And he doesn't find anything unnatural about it. He hasn't been taught that these things are not can't be real. You know, he makes no judgment. He just takes things at face value for what they are. And I think that if we, and you touched upon this, if we can educate our, our children, if they all of a sudden describe having this dream, you know, where, where grandma appeared um, or having or even describe having a, hearing a voice or a conversation, instead of rushing them out to a psychologist, talk about it. You know, get their feelings, telling them there's nothing wrong with that, how lucky they are, you know, and maybe we would all be better for it.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Can you describe some of those experiences that you personally had?
1: Well, you know, I, um, for me... Uh, I'll preface it by saying that, you know, if you don't believe these things are possible, you're not going to recognize any, any things that happen. You have to be, you know, for me, it was the science part of it that opened me up to get, you know, direct personal experiences. But uh, after my daughter passed, um, I was very fortunate in the fact that I had um, probably over the course of the five to six years, I had 75 dream visitations from her. And I journaled, each and every one, and I and and I would define a dream visitation as being separate from a so-called ordinary dreams. Ordinary dreams tend to be disjointed and fragmented, and kind of all over the place, and not appear to make much sense. In a visitation dream, and the theory behind it is that our loved ones in spirit are these entities of energy, and and and, and they find a conduit to get through to us when our monkey mind so to speak is is at rest during the REM stage and during these dream visitations I mean I could hug my daughter and I could talk to her and I could tell her how much I loved her and I could smell her and and all this stuff and that that kept me going and I knew enough to write each one down because every time I felt really horrible I'd pick up my journal and read all of these you know and they were you know brought me back to life so to speak um but we had, um, you know, incredible experiences. Um, what I found um, after my daughter passed, uh, my uh, f- my wife, Fran, and, and my other daughter went on the computer in her room, and they found all of these writings and essays and poetry that, that she had written, uh, m- we never knew about. And most of it had to do with what happens after we die, um, you know, which raises mm-hmm. the question of, you know, what um, do certain children have an inner knowing that their lives may be cut short my her best friend, my daughter 's best friend told us um, that when they were both twelve years old, my daughter made her friend enter into a pact with her, and the pact was if one of them were to die before the other, they would leave a sign for the other one so that the other one would know that they still existed. You know how many twelve year olds make a pact like that? You know she wrote poetry. Uh, sure, this beautiful poem called The Wonder Awaits, talking about what happens, you know, after we die and that how she was going to come back and let us know, which, by the way, after reading all those things, we felt compelled to start the foundation. But, you know, uh, but, um, you know there, there is some evidence that some, that some of us, you know, have this knowing somehow, you know, that, um, that things will, um, you know, we won't have a long time, you know, on this earth. By the way, um, in that incident that I just mentioned, the pact that she made with her friend, after my daughter's funeral, I didn't even know this. Fran never told me about this until later on, but my daughter's best friend came over our house and told Fran about the pact. Um, And then uh, uh, Bailey's, my daughter Bailey's pact was that she was going to take a blue magic marker pen and she was going to put it in an unusual place. And um, when my daughter's uh, best friend returned to her home. She walked into her room and then neatly placed on her computer keyboard was a, was a blue magic marker. Um, and she said that she didn't own one and she certainly had not been using one like for years. And, and so she had no idea how it was there. Uh, and then she went around to every, all the other members of the household and asked if anybody had been in the room and everybody said, no, of course, did I dismiss this? Yes. You know, I mean, Fran didn't, but I did. And I just, okay, that's, that's an amazing coincidence, but a coincidence. Uh, but these things just started happening and happening and happening and happening. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't really have, I don't imagine we have time for me to get into some, but some of them, I would write down every experience. And I even sought out the help of a statistician that shows you how sick left mind than I was to calculate the odds of each one of these things occurring. And when I reached 20, um, experiences that had odds against chance of a million to one each, then I relented because I had the evidence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This has to be
1: true. You can't have 20 million to one shots, you know, you can no longer explain them away. Um, and so, uh, we've had uh, experiences like that. Um, right now, um, There's such a thing called um, electronic voice phenomena, something that, you know, um, 99% of people have never heard of. But what happens is that people, this has been going on for decades, but, you know, people take recording devices. Back in the day, they were these reel-to-reel things, and now they're digital recorders or their phones. And they set an attention to talk to their loved one, and they turn on the recorder for 20 seconds, um, and then they turn off the recorder, and then they play it back. Sometimes, not often, uh, sometimes people experiment with it for months or even years before they start getting voices, but sometimes you get the the imprint of voices onto the recorder. Um, we have a friend of ours, um, who's a close friend of Fran's, and she's been experimenting with electronic voice phenomena for many, many years. So after Fran passed she would set up seven, she'd write down seven or eight questions that she wanted to ask Fran in, in spirit um, to answer. And then Janet would send me the recordings back when there was something appeared. And one of them, she said, Fran, what is the name of the organization that you founded? And then on the tape you hear forever family foundation. Uh, So uh, these things are really interesting because there's tangible evidence there's a recording you know and if you could rule out fraud or other external you know factors um it's pretty compelling you know we don't know how it's possible but yet find a way to to, to make this imprint so there there are things you know people uh, uh, learn about uh, end of life experiences you know and having deathbed visions uh Um, you know, uh, near death experiences, uh, you know, reincarnation evidence, um, mediumship, and you mentioned, you know, having Siri on there, there are certain people, um, you know, in in my book that you mentioned, the medium explosion, I kind of went out on a whim. And I said that based upon my experience, all these years, that 85 to 90% of the mediums that are practicing today can't do what they claim, Um, you know, which ruffled a few feathers, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, my data and my observations of that. It's true. Not all of them are fraudulent. Some of them are, but um, many are just have some degree of, of intuitive ability, which we all do to various degrees. And, 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 you know, they, somebody tells them, oh, you should go out and be a medium. Next thing you know, they're charging a lot of money and they're sitting with very fragile people um, that are in, in, in horrible grief. And, and that, bothers me. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's why we test these these mediums. And that's why, you know, I, I put that stuff down on the book. But um, these are ways um, in which people can um, keep in touch, you know, with their loved ones. We, we try to, to counsel people to try to do these, get into these altered states of conscious, consciousness through meditation or whatever music or art or whatever nature, you know, and, 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 and try to foster, you know, direct. You know communication you know I, I once did a survey amongst you know a membership, and I asked, if you had the choice, would you rather receive a communication from your deceased loved one directly or through a medium and I fully expected the overwhelming majority to say directly, but it was the opposite. most people said through a medium, which I thought was odd, and then I started probing and then I realized why because People always question the, you know, the voices or the information that they get, you know, they're imagining it, whereas if they're going through a third party, a professional, so to speak, then they could trust the information. Uh, there are also people that are fearful of of non-physical things, you know, because uh, they're taught uh, that way Um you know, either through the media or their family or their religion or so forth. And so uh, there's a fear factor involved with things that can't be explained. So they, they would rather get it from, from somebody else. So that, you know, that surprised me.
0: Well, and look at your own example, your life example, right? You yeah. you set out on a mission to prove to yourself that this was possible, right? Right. I'm surprised you didn't know the answer to that because of your own experience. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and, and um, you know, I, what we find all the time is that my experience is that people who believe in an afterlife, or people believe in what we call it survival of consciousness, appear to do better in their grief than those who don't. Um, there are many people that I've noticed over the years, and I don't have to tell you because you're well versed in this, but, you know, they become defined by their grief mm. um, and and the notion to that to, to these people, if you suggest that their loved one still survives in some form, they interpret that as an affront as an insult to their like it diminishes the depth of, of their grief um, and I understand it, and uh, there are people that and we don 't try to convince anybody we just tell people what we know and what we 've learned, and people make their their own choices you know we, we um, hold these grief retreats and um, you know, one of which was was featured in that that Netflix documentary that that you mentioned, and we just ha- we just finished up one um, two weeks ago. You know, in July uh, in Connecticut, and we see it time and time again. There are there there, there are people that leave on Sunday night in um, with much more clarity and hope and comfort than when they arrive. You know, there are people that arrive in such. Throws of grief that they can't even smile, uh, they can't laugh, they can't do anything, and there's a lightness, you know, to it at the end. And we attribute that to, you know, to the 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 knowledge that that they gained. And the question is, though, does it does it last, you know? And so we try to keep in touch and follow up and see because now you you're on this high. It's like going for a medium readem. You're on this immediate high, you know. You're it's wonderful and then you go back in the real world so to speak and talk to your friends and your colleagues and your family and they kind of poo-poo it you know and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. you know I hate when they say but it, but if it makes you feel better um you know so um I, I think that um there's a there's a real uh, some of the business there's been some clinical research you know that shows that uh, belief in in survival of consciousness um, has a positive effect on one's grief grief It's backed up you know by science and you know we we uh, really you know believe that and that's what why we continue in that work.
0: I would love to include in the show notes a resource that you have that people can go to and read for themselves if you're willing to share after. After we record. Yeah. The-
1: also, I mentioned on our website, you know, foreverfamilyfoundation.org, we listed um, by category all the better books on the subject that we oh, recommend okay. people, you know, grief and loss and, um, you know, science and mediumship and so forth. So there's a complete resource on there that people can refer to. Um, you know, um, there's a, a, a medical doctor uh, that we're associated with. He's on our board. His name is Dr. Piero Calvi Parasetti. Um, and, uh, it's interesting. He's a, um, an Italian born and he's lived in Scotland for the past 20 years. So he's a purebred Italian that speaks with a, a Scottish accent. I, I'm always fascinated to talk to him, but he, he wrote this book, um, which is based on cognitive behavior therapy called, you know, love knows no grief. Um, and, um, or love knows no death. I'm, I'm forgetting already. Am I, I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, but in any event, it's on our website and, 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 it's a workbook. So he, he also to go along with the material produced 26 different videos, um, that go, you have to read the chapter, you watch the video. And his theory is that if you change the way that you think about death, um, you can make real progress, you know, um, in, in the way that you you navigate your physical lives and and that's been very helpful to a lot of people and that that book a link to that book is also on our website
0: well, and I absolutely agree with that because it also shifts your perspective and changes your feelings about your grief
1: so, right yeah,
0: I absolutely one hundred percent agree with that so what has your grief taught you? I mean aside from this Deeper connection that you've developed based on scientific research first, and then just your personal experiences. What else has grief taught you?
1: Well, some of the things are probably obvious that many people can relate to. Um, it taught me um, the elusive nature of, of life, and that to take nothing for granted. You know, just absolutely nothing. I mean, I don't. I don't plan for the future anymore. I mean, obviously you know, running a foundation, I have to do certain planning and, you know, but I'm, I'm retired from my, my regular work. And, and I just, um, I take things as they come. I try to um, step back and, and um, you know, just experience um, instead of interpret and, and reason um, and try to engage in rational thinking. I think sometimes that, that holds us back, you know, it's a, I use the example. I mean, you watch somebody in the in, in the street or on Facebook, and they constantly have some sort of experience, and they can't they can't take pictures fast enough. They have to document it. You know, I don't see the need for that. I may see something glorious, you know, but I will just enjoy the experience, you know, and I don't feel the need to document it, you know, for some, you know, for somebody else. It's, a, it's sort of like seeing. That's me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you just called me out without knowing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you know, seeing, but you know, between the dots, you know, uh, um, listen, when, when you've lost somebody close, um, you want to find some meaning and purpose because it doesn't make sense. Otherwise what's the purpose of life? We live in a, in a, in a chaotic, chaotic world, you know, what's, what's the point, you know, I mean, if we are extinguished forever and two generations later, nobody even knows that we existed. I mean, why, you know, why, what's the purpose? Um, I have my own theory on that. I mean, I think that we do live in a world um, that's random or at least it appears random. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of spiritual thinkers that say that, nothing, um, everything happens for a reason, you know, and there are no coincidences. I don't believe that. I believe that sure there are coincidences, you know, there are many synchronicities that aren't coincidences they just appear to be, but you know, things happen all the time. Now, free will, you know, I, I decide to do this or step out here or whatever and get hit by a truck. Things are, are going to happen. You know, I'm able now to think that th- this physical life is just a little tiny blip, of a continuum of life. Um, I'm not fearful, you know, of of that. Sometimes I even welcome it, you know, but um, I, I, um, because I realized that once, uh, you know, there's a, there's a great shaman. I once read a book from a shaman. He says, you know, physical life is like being at a football game. If you're sitting, you know, there's 70,000 people in the stadium. And if you, if you're sitting at ground level in the first row, you could hear all the, the grunts and and, and, uh, and the sounds and and see all the chaos and, and, and the violence and so forth and the disorganization you know but when you move up to the very very top row all the way at the top of the stadium you see all the patterns and all the organization you know and there's the meaning behind all you know, all the different plays and I thought that always stuck with me because you know I, I think that after we transition and lose our physical bodies and with this entity of pure, you know, consciousness, we see all the, all of the, of the, the patterns that appeared to us as, 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 being random, you know, and then they make sense, but we can't make sense of it while we're here, you know, and then after somebody dies, we have no choice, but to, what are our choices? We have to continue on, figure out a new way to invent ourselves uh, figure out a new way to navigate this new life that was thrust upon us—that a life that we never wanted or, or imagined—and uh, um, uh, and go on from there. I mean, that that's you know, th- 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 there's no choice. So, I mean, I try to now look at things and, and find some some reasons, and I try to experience more. I try to do things. I don't do things that that I don't feel like doing. I only do things that I, that I enjoy. Uh, I, I, I took up golf uh, again, you know, for the, I hadn't played in 20 years. I go out and play golf. To me, that's meditation. I'm I'm the only guy in the club that plays alone. It's the way I want it. I, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I can talk to myself. I could talk to my loved ones while I'm playing. I enjoy all the, the nature and, um, to me, that's my meditation, we all need to find some sort of a, of an outlet to to clear our heads, you know, and and to get closer to what we're we're meant to to be. And maybe our purpose in life, people are always asking the deep questions, what's the purpose of life? Maybe the purpose of life is just to recognize that there's more beyond, you know, Mm -hmm. that um, this is this is one step life can be very cruel, it could be there's a lot of suffering that goes on. There's nobody that's Making us suffer—it just shit happens, you know. Um, and and that um, we'll move to the, to the next phase eventually, and and uh, and we'll go from there and 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 move closer to so-called enlightenment. I don't particularly like that term, but gain more clarity in our lives and have more experiences.
0: I like that analogy with the football stadium because I think in grief itself, if we can be more of an observer and just kind of look at our lives and our patterns of how our grief has shown up throughout the different phases of our lives, because it's not always just in all these interviews and conversations I've had with gravers, it's never just one loss. Even if it's not the death of a loved one, there's been things that have happened or occurred in people's lives that they don't think is grief necessarily at the time. But in hindsight, if you can be the observer you'll see the patterns kind of repeating and how you responded to the grief and how you're continuing to respond to it. So I love that analogy. So in talking about the loss of your wife now, because you said you're living alone for the very first time. and, And I'm also curious how, well, let's go back to your daughter passing, because I'm curious with the surviving children, was that what you were going through and experiencing and trying to you know, with the research and all of that, were the children involved in that process too? And and how do you think that has served them in their grief?
1: Yeah, I, I uh, my my daughter, uh, you know, my middle daughter, she um, is totally on board with all this stuff, and you know, and, and she was very helpful to both uh, Fran and myself, and and still remains, you know, so so she's, you know, very much into um, the work that we do. Um, my son was, it's hard to gauge, you know, he has no memory of the accident, he was driving the car, you know, and, and, and um, I think it's sort of a blessing that he doesn't remember anything. Uh, but uh, he is also supportive, you know, he's, he wants to believe he's on board, he never Um, says anything negative about, you know, any of the work that we do, you know, he can, he'll help in any way. So I think it's helpful to them as it is to, you know, to, to most people to, you know, this work and, you know, and, and I, you know, I share with them things that happen, you know, and they share with me. Interestingly enough, my, my, my son tells me, I mean, he's 38 now, but he tells me that he never had a dream. I mean, of course I know he must dream, but he never remembers a dream, you know. Oh. Which is odd. I never met anybody that never remembered any dream, you know, but uh so he was he's sort of detached in that sense, you know, and he's a quiet and shy guy. But um he um I think he finds some comfort. Uh, I also think that they want to support me, um, you know, so they you know, and, and so part of it is to is is to help me out. But I always remain aware of what they suffered a loss just the way I did, you know, you know, they lost their sister and they lost their mom. So um, I can't put myself in their shoes. They have totally different emotions that uh, we have. And, you know, when we run these grief retreats, we, sometimes we go into breakouts because we know that, I mean, grief is grief, but everybody experiences it in a different way. And people that have lost a child may have certain sets of things that they deal with, unlike people that have lost a parent, unlike people that have lost, um, you know, a sibling and, and, you know, some people who lost by by suicide. So, um, we, we try to have these discussion groups just so people could share their feelings and how, you know, maybe they're not as unique as you think, you know, they're common to the group. Um, but, um, it's so true. Even, even, in the work that you do, you know, with grief recovery, I mean, you're well aware of that. I mean, grief is not the same for everybody. Right.
0: Right. And there's no high hierarchy of grief, you know, because right. everyone experiences it at a hundred percent. There's no half grievers, you know, out in the world.
1: That's true. I never thought yeah. of it that way. It's like being half pregnant, right?
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so what gives you, hope for the future and you know now now kind of navigating life alone like how is how how do you keep your spirits up and and not let yourself slip into that because you know what you know it's hard to unknow what you know and what you know is and you had shared this is that you you welcome death sometimes for obvious reasons you know but how do you keep yourself from not slipping too far down that slope?
1: Well, I, I you know, for me, uh, I find that um, keeping busy, I do better when I'm busy than when I'm not, you know, because when I'm busy, I'm not thinking about it constantly, you know, whereas, um, you know, I was never, a, I, and even when I'm, I'm not busy during the day, obviously with the foundation of, you know, there's tons of work that I could do. And, and I, and I, I do it until I don't feel like doing it anymore. And then I stop, you know, and then, you know, and then when I feel like it again, I'll do it again. I don't feel pressure to just, you know, everything, you know, can wait. You know Um, my wife was never like that. Oddly enough, she was 24 seven constantly. One of my big challenges was trying to get her to, you know, to take, to take a break. I do that now. Um, I I was never a huge TV watcher simply because we were always working, but now I binge watch these shows, you know, on Netflix and Amazon, all these things like like through half the night, and I'm not much of a sleeper. Um, that to me is helpful because while I'm watching all these interesting, you know, series, um, I'm not thinking about how sad I am, you know, and, and that to me is helpful. So uh, when I so when I when I find and, and how do I I still listen with. Uh, It's a common – it bothers me somewhat, you know, because after doing the – having the foundation for so many years and, you know, people knowing my story and blah, 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 and I get comments, well, you must be doing, you know, great because you know that, you know, friends still exist and you must be getting signs like crazy. I'm still human. I, You know, I'm I'm like just like everybody else. You know, I I dig myself out um, from, for me – going over in my mind my experiences and what I know you know Um, and maybe it'll take me picking up a book I haven't read in you know in 15 years or just to reinforce or um, I have enough tools in my bag to to try to get myself on the right track again I'm still going to fall off the track I fall off the track every day I'm able to get myself back on but that's the key you know, there are people that are not as fortunate and they're off the track and forever, you know, and, and they can't get back on. So having these other outlets and these other opportunities and these other resources to guide you, I think, are important. Um, so that's pretty much uh, what my life is now. Um, and um, I probably work harder now than I ever did before. You know, before I used to goof off a lot, but now <laughs> it's therapeutic. So I just, you know, keep keep doing the work. <laughs>
0: There's two words that you said that I'm going to share with you because have you read the the grief recovery handbook?
1: I have I have not. No.
0: Okay. You're an avid reader from what I gather. Yeah. Um I would encourage you to read that book, the grief recovery handbook. But there's two words that you shared that I want to highlight because I think it's important for listeners to hear and that you said you you keep busy. And that happens to be one of the myths of grief. Because that's what we do, right? When we, and so the question to ask yourself really is, am I doing this to avoid what I'm feeling at this time? Because if it is, then that's not addressing or looking at your feelings and and and, and what's going on emotionally. And maybe there is something emotionally incomplete there. And that's where you do have the knowledge of, well, you can still communicate with, with your wife and you can still communicate with your daughter. But I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's so important that it is really easy to get caught up in the rat race of life and and trying to distract ourselves when we are having a tough time or a bad day or, or whatever. I, recently, I found myself doing that too. I got a lot done, <laughs> but I re- recognize knowing what I know, because I can't unknow what I know, right? I have an awareness now. Oh, that's me keeping busy. Yeah, that's me trying to avoid, you know, and so it's then addressing, well, there's my clue, there's my sign that I have something I need to, to address there. And so I just, I I encourage you to read that book, it might bring to light something for you that would be helpful.
1: Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I mean, I I mean, I think subconsciously I know that when I'm engaged in all these things, uh, like even the, the, the binge watching, you know, TV, that um, it's it's an attempt uh, to avoid the pain, you know, rather than to embrace it. You know, uh, uh, it's a temporary um, fix. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah, and, and you uh,
0: also bring up another good point in that sometimes helpers need help too. Just because we know what we know doesn't mean, like you said, we're not that we're not human, we're still human and still have those same challenges that other people have. True, yeah. So, what gives you the most hope for the future and what gives you joy today?
1: Well, you know, we um we end every radio show with the same slogan, you know, and that is, you know, your your loved ones are only a heartbeat away and science is going to prove it. I'm kind of rethinking that whole thing because I'm the more and more that I learn, I'm I'm starting to realize that we're not going to change worldview about death. I don't think by the science, although it's possible, but it's by people sharing um, their experiences and, and, I think we live in a society now where people have these profound kind of experiences and after death communications, and they're very reluctant to share them with their friends or their family or their colleagues, colleagues for fear of being judged or ridiculed and, you know, labeled. Um, And so it's my hope that what we try to do is just to, I'm not talking about, you don't have to go run into the office and make an announcement and lecture people. I mean, just have enough, um, be brave enough just to share it with people, whether or not, you, you know, their beliefs. And when more and more and more people share, um, it'll become more mainstream. People will be more open to the ideas and maybe, maybe we'll grieve less, you know, you know, as a whole. Um, so, I mean, I, I hope to see a time, um, where we all, you know, share a lot more. I hope that like everybody else, even though I do the work to receive more, um, communications, because they that they they're always reinforcing, you know, you know, like when they happen. Um, And, you know, most of all, um, I just want to continue to engage, you know, with others and and tell them what I've learned and and share experiences and, and promote this general feeling that we're more than our physical bodies, you know, we think of ourselves as a brain, a brain is who we are, when the brain goes, what could possibly survive, you know, you're buried in, in the ground or cremated. Uh, but if we think that the, this is just a, a shell, um, and that our true self, you know, can continues after we shed the shell, you know, I think, we'll all be a lot better off and then we'll be able to live our lives with some more meaning and purpose. So for me, um, that it's a constant search for meaning and purpose, you know, because the randomness gets to me every once in a while and I have to step back and try and figure out why we're here and, and, and realize that, you know, where we're going in the broader picture, you know, than this finite little chunk in history.
0: Yeah. And the surviving death series really sparked something in me. And, um, you know, and that's when I had Dr. Chris Kerr-, Kerr on and had Siri on, and I actually ended up doing an end of life doula certification because oh. I felt this prompt, you yeah. know, I had been doing home healthcare work in the past, but it was kind of this thing. I was kind of like shutting down within myself, you know, like I, cause I feel like I have deep compassion to sit with people at their last days of their life because I I was a CNA too in high school certified nursing assistant in a nursing home you know and so it's like I've been doing this work for a long time but I just didn't I I kind of like shut, was shutting myself off from that and I think I missed out on probably a lot of experiences that could have helped me maybe spiritually evolve um, earlier in my life um, had I embraced that ability or that gift of empathy. I had a point here. <laughs> Where was I going with it? Oh, see this happens. Well, I I, I think
1: that's very commendable what, what what you're doing. I mean and we can learn, I mean knowing what now what you know, if you sit with somebody that's in the dying process, you can understand and appreciate some of the things that are going on, you know, and 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 take them for, you know, the pure experience for what it is. People it's my belief that every single person as they're passing and, you know, and it could be hours or a week before they pass, get visitations or escorts, you know, to the other side. Mm -hmm. They may not be able to communicate it because of their mental or physical state, but nonetheless, they have these. And that's wonderfully uplifting, you know, to, to think that we all, um, have somebody to help us, you know, guide, it makes yeah. it, you know, makes, you know, I'll tell you just a, a quick, fun, it's kind of a humorous story. When my mother was, was my mother passed a couple of years ago and we were all sitting with her and she was in the recliner and we had a semicircle of chairs in front of her. And all of a sudden she was looking at an empty chair directly in front of her and she screamed out, you know, mama, mama. And I knew she was seeing her mother. Um, and of course everybody else in the room, you know, they didn't. know. They thought she was hallucinating, but Fran and I knew. Um, And then my father walked out from the other room, and he saw the empty chair. So he went over and he sat in the empty chair. And my mother, as sick as she was, started yelling, "Get up! You know, get up!" He had no idea. He sat on his mother-in-law. <laughs> you know, but, but he did. <laughs> and my poor dad. You know, he's like, "What? What, what would I do?" <laughs> but, uh, but. But, um, you know, see, that's something that I ordinarily, I would, you know, you just would attribute to somebody a dying brain and hallucinations, Mm -hmm. but it's not, there are, you know, hundreds and thousands of reports of this going on, but nobody talks about it. Your guest, you know, Christopher Kerr talked about it because he sees it every day, Mm -hmm. you know, in hospice. Um, and that's even how, as he probably told you, that's how the medical personnel knows when somebody's about to cross over. Um, so, um. I think it would be comforting if people knew about, you know, these things and most people don't.
0: Or just be open to the possibility, right? Because there's hope in that. There's hope in that. I was thinking back, as you said, your slogan for your radio show. And I was thinking back to an interview. um, Actually it just went live. Not that long ago. And her experience was, you know, she had um, her boyfriend at the time had been in a terrible car accident and pardon me. It was her husband when her husband passed away you know, she said, and she had young children at the time. And she said, you know, I hear your heartbeat, but you're already gone. You know, he was considered brain dead. And I think back to that conversation and I'm thinking, gosh, and I don't know what her belief system is, but just in that instance alone to feel like they're gone, but they're not really, you know, if you can believe that, you can still have this continuation of a relationship and grief recovery. That's what we say. It's, it's a continuation of the relationship. It continues on whether you like it or not. It's because you, you, you're emotionally invested in that person that, you know, whether it was a less than loving relationship or it was really loving uh, that, that there is a continuation of that relationship because people have an impact that they sometimes don't even realize until, just the impact of your daughter, right? The, the ripples of her sharing with their best friend and the poetry now. And that was your prompt to start the foundation, like the impact of her life, you know? And I guess we, she doesn't get to see it the way you do, but, but she probably does right in the spirit realm.
1: And you know. yeah, you know, I, I used to bristle when people said, well, you know, that, you know, her, her, her death had had meaning because look, look what it spawned. You know, because now you you know you built this whole thing. I used to, you know, not really buy into that. But as the years went by, I, maybe that was part of the of the plan. You know, who am I to say that it wasn't? I mean, I'm 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 a totally different person than I was 20 years ago. You know, so
0: long well, grief changes us absolutely, yeah.
1: right. but it's
0: the impact of her life, right? You know? Is there anything else you would like to share?
1: No, I just, um, you know, I appreciate uh, the work that you do and, you know, in grief recovery. Um, I think that we all need, uh, we all need a way, you know, we need a way to, 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 dig out, you know, from where we are, you know, and there's, there's a lot of help and there are a lot of resources and, you uh, I appreciate everybody in the field that approach it from all different perspectives. Some perspectives I don't, I agree with and some I don't, but nonetheless, different things are helpful to different people.
0: So Fran was very much your co-creator of the foundation. What do you think if she were on here with you, what do you think she would want to share with grievers?
1: I think that um, there would be nothing um, extraordinary. She just, you know, would encourage people to, to be open. You know, there's nothing wrong with, being an open-minded skeptic, you know, it's a problem when you're a closed-minded skeptic and you just dismiss everything, you know, I mean, there was a scientist that once said, I wouldn't believe in this stuff, even if it was true, you know? So, I mean, you know, it's a form of scientism, you know, and just experience, um, don't judge and remain open. And, and, uh, you know, that's all, that's all you could do. Um, I, I think that before you dismiss Um, these stories that you hear and and these books that you read, do your own personal research and do your own investigations and talk to as many people as you can, Uh, because there, there is light on the other side. You know, We're, we're filled with this darkness. It's almost complete darkness after we lose somebody. And then gradually light starts to seep in a little bit at a time, you know, and then you, you finally reach a point. Well, Hey, I, you know, I went, I went an hour without thinking of my loved one. And then all, you know, Hey, I went a day, you know, and then before you know it, you know, maybe you went a few days and, you know, it's, it's a gradual um, uh, lightness. And that only comes from uh, this, this inner knowing based upon what you've learned or experience. So I think she would encourage everybody to keep at it and just um, dismiss those who who are, are closed and just pay attention to what you know is true.
0: When, as you describe what, how she would probably express herself and what she'd want to say. I thought of this analogy. I heard it recently too, and I can't remember where, but you know, when we go walk into a dark room, we don't look for the, for the, we look for the light switch, right. To turn on the light, to bring in light, to fill the room with light. We are never looking for a dark switch, right. You know? So even on your darkest of days, it's looking for the light switch. And I feel like that's kind of, yeah, I, that is what you I'm on board have. with that. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to share anything else about Fran?
1: No, I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I call myself co-founder of the foundation, but she was, the you know, the true, you know, founder, she, she, she dragged me along for the ride, you know, so, of course, now I wish I would have paid more attention when she kept saying things like, you need to learn this, you know, now, I'm now I realize why well, I have to learn, you know, everything about the inner workings, but, you know, to be done. I, I think that um, she was not, I, I, she was not afraid to die. You know, she wasn't happy about it, but she was not afraid um, you know, only because, um, you know, she felt there was so much, uh, you know, more, more work to be done, but, you know, near the end, she, I mean, she did suffer terribly. Um, and, and, she, but she, she did have uh, a, an experience like we were talking about where she, uh, her, her deceased uh, aunt who was, she was very close with and helped raise her. She was having regular conversations with, you know, with her near the end. Um, so I, I think that uh, she believed, I know she believed that she was destined for this work. I mean, this this foundation and the work became her life and there was nothing that was going to stand in her way. She, you know, she was driven to get the message out. She was driven to further the research. She you know, was driven to, to help the bereaved and, uh, so she left the mark. You know, I said, when the hospice nurse came near the end, and one day the, the nurse said, uh, You have any questions? And I said, uh, Yeah, you know, trying to be joking a little bit. I said, Yeah, what's the meaning of life? You know, of course, that threw her, you know, and she just looked and she said, Well, you know, she didn't know if I was serious or not. She said, that, That's a very difficult question. And Fran, you know, as sick as she was, she just said, it's not difficult at all, you know the meaning of life is to leave this world a better place, and that was it, and that's the way she lived in life.
0: I just yeah, I'm getting emotional, and I'm not sure why that <laughs> just really touched me. so it touched me too for that <laughs> didn't expect that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a beautiful message to end on today, so
1: <sighs> it's been a pleasure, in,
0: yeah. Thank you so much. It's been my honor um to have you as a guest and for you to share your story and about the foundation and um the work that you've done and created for to help the bereaved. Thank um, you. where can people find you?
1: Well, the um the foundation website is three words forever uh, familyfoundation.org. Um that's the way it sounds. Um I write a personal blog at beyond the five senses.com put my thoughts down. And, uh, you know, the, the book is called the medium explosion. Uh, anybody interested in that? And, uh, it's pretty much it. Anybody wants an email. I'm always open. My email is Robert at forever family org. And
0: are you on social media?
1: Yeah. I mean, I check Facebook. I don't do a lot with it, but I'm on, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and those kind of things, but I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, so I don't always keep up with that.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I will link to your website and, and all of those resources in the yeah, show. Yeah, and if people want to
1: become a member, it's free. We don't charge for it. So it's,
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah. Do you have a Facebook group then for your foundation?
1: There is. I don't, you know, we have a person that handles that for us, but they can find a for a family foundation uh, page. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Oh, you're and- welcome remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.